Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is the quarter century episode, episode 25, Another Horse Punch. Hello, everyone. Welcome again to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Sam and Eddie. And I think we should start with Eddie, who apparently has a, um, a story about someone trying to do an imitation of my podcast nature, eh? Yeah, Vasilis, who obviously um, big time talked about his, yeah, namaste. Now, here's a surprising thing, right? From a guy who's trying to embrace his mental health and a relaxed approach to lifestyle, kind of went after you with his impression. I'll try and do the best possible version of his impression. But here, the unfortunate thing is, I'm not going to do it total justice, but it sounded a little bit like this. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Big the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank. I'm here with, once again, this is going to be a great podcast. I'm here with my friends, Eddie and Sam. Sam, how's it going? He sounds like a cross between Donald Trump and Barney the Dinosaur. <laughs> Now, if you could just if you could just add a Greek accent into the mix on the impression, he basically made it sound, Frank, as if you were like a Greek man who'd been in a very, very serious road accident fairly recently and was like recovering the ability to speak and had like started a podcast to sort of maybe record yourself so you could see if your speech was improving over time. And that's basically so, yeah. how Vasilis thinks you sound. My speech therapist thought it would be a really good practice for me to get on a podcast exactly. so I can speak more and more to develop my language back to what it once was. Yeah. So those are the shots that Vasilis fired at you. Wow. Why did he fire them? Like, what was the, the reason? Yeah, I thought, thought Vasilis like, was my friend. Yeah. Why has he come after him? Well, wait, what's, what's the expression? Isn't, you know, imi like imitation the, the highest form of flattery? Isn't that... He's just obviously enamored with your podcast style. And, and to think, I, I spoke so highly of him in the last few episodes, knowing all the stories I know about Vasilis and choosing not to say any of them. I mean, you're more than welcome to return fire if you want. This could be your moment, or you could be the better man. The, the great thing about Vasilis, I don't think you have to return fire. I think Vass, over the course of time, will just take shots on himself. So I just think, like, sit back, be patient, and he'll do enough damage to himself over time. Yeah. Well, I wanted to start with a week of very terrible bets, at least on my end. I know Eddie didn't do so well either. Sam, I'm not sure how invested you were in the NFL this week, but it was not a good week for the NFL. It was the best Sunday, though, for sports books. apparently. Several sports books came out saying that this was – their biggest winning week so far this year, except pretty interestingly, DraftKings got caught pretty bad with two big bets. And I just saw this, I thought it was pretty interesting. There was a $2 million two leg parlay on the Lions and the Dolphins both to win. So that was 2 million to win 2.1. So that was a pretty big hit. And then there was another one for 100,000 on the Ravens, Dolphins, money line and then Steelers minus three and that paid out about almost four to one so 
besides those two, I think the bookies made a killing considering the Patriots loss. That was, I think a big loss. And a lot of the bigger teams that should have covered, didn't like the Ravens, um, the Colts didn't cover. There was a, there was a few big ones that didn't cover. So we'll get into, I guess, our outcomes on Thursday, but I know for a fact, I did not do good this week in my picks. (laughs) Yeah. I think it's one of those, even for most people, right? Yeah. A lot of big teams didn't cover. So even if you'd managed to avoid the Patriots, but I think the Patriots would have been like a pretty central figure in most people's like money line parlays or teases anything like that. And like you did well to avoid the Patriots in any of your bets. So just that. I I appreciate that because, because I avoided the Patriots in every one of my bets and still lost every one of my bets. So it didn't help that much. That that takes talent. It's also worth saying, even from a European perspective, right? This was a pretty nice week, probably for the bookies as well. You had two, we, we previewed the Champions Day at Ascot. You had the two odds-on favorites both lose. Yeah. You had Real Madrid and Barcelona both lose. You had Liverpool not win at Everton. Admittedly, they weren't sort of super heavy favorites, but still. So overall, I think as a bookie, probably hard not to have had a profitable weekend no matter where you were. Yeah, actually, now that you bring up the Ascot Champions weekend, at least I did tip a good nine to one winner there on our podcast. So that was encouraging with a day of winning the, winning the champion stakes. So if only you'd listen to your own tips, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know what? I didn't bet it. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I, well, I think worth- I did, I did the right thing though. Cause I, I had said on the podcast that I used to go the route of betting the favorites. Like we usually do in those types of festivals, but because it's the end of the year, the favorites aren't as consistent. So I stayed away from betting the favorites. I listened to myself and did an each way bet with some of the lesser favorites, either second, third, fourth favorites. And out of the six, I think I hit five out of the six. So that kind of sucks. That would have yeah, been a nice did. each way. Yeah, yeah, you did. I mean, the I'm, interesting, and, I guess it's unusual for us to go horse racing first. But I did yeah. think the interesting thing is that John Gosden has kind of taken on uh, the horse racing authority in that he thinks fundamentally the course was not up to scratch for that quality of racing. He attributes Stradivarius's defeat purely basically to the ground and the Oof. fact that it it lost a shoe mid-race and then also Dottori thinks that um, uh, uh, Palace Pier or whatever um, also lost a, lost a shoe mid-race. Wait, he thinks he lost a shoe mid-race? I mean, you've got to That's know if he has or not. Either, either he lost a shoe or he didn't. It was kind of <laughs> unclear from uh, his interview whether or not he was certain. I think there was a possibility that it may have lost a shoe pre-race and that they weren't aware. But it had been inspected by the vets because I think it was bleeding, it was bleeding from the nose pre-race and they gave it the all-clear to race. But yeah, it, oh, just they gave it. To, they gave it to cocaine treatment. <laughs> the Murphy treatment, exactly. Yeah, it was intended for Tory, but the horse sniffed it up first. But um, yeah, I think Gosden is clearly just not happy about it. And I think overall, in a sense, he was kind of saying that the quality of ground for that weekend consistently just isn't up to scratch, and that they probably need to do something about it. But he was disappointed that they didn't that they ran on the course that they did that they didn't run on the inner course at Ascot, where he thinks the ground would have been better. Wait, the ground was rated 
soft, wasn't it, for the day? Soft, no, heavy, yeah. heavy. I oh, it came to, I saw soft as well. Heavy I, I didn't watch though, so I don't know. Yeah, that was heavy. my point, is whether was... he was thinking that he's annoyed at the rating of the ground, or is he annoyed just that the ground period was bad, if that makes sense. No, I think he was disappointed just in the quality of just the overall quality of the ground. Um, but yeah. Now, here's the thing. There's so we're, There were some decent horses who that performed extremely well, so... He yeah, might be a, there might be some other trainers who are perfectly happy with the conditions, but I will say yeah, in his so, defense, right, Gosling's not the kind of person normally to come out with those kind of comments. So he obviously was very disappointed with it in order to even be publicly saying that. Well, that was just a shitty start to my weekend of betting, I guess, because that was the early Saturday. And I mean, the only upside, I guess, for that was I didn't actually sit and waste my time watching the races. I was out on my Saturday hike, so... I kind of just got the updates as they went. And I, the really shitty part is I said to avoid all the favorites. And the one race I lost on was the one race I took the favorite to win. So had I just fully listened to myself, I probably could have cashed a nice each way. <laughs> you know, it sucks, but whatever also, it is. What also it is. worth saying, right? You're, you're saying you lost this weekend, but out of the three of us, you're the only one whose bet of the week actually won. Yeah. Because you had Zaha anytime goal scorer, and he admittedly it was a penalty, so maybe not the hey. most glamorous way to win, but still he scored early on too. So you didn't even have to sweat that one out. I think that was the fourteenth minute or something. Yeah. Did did I bet that though? <laughs> maybe you don't want to be saying you're not betting your bets of the week. No, yeah. I did. Actually, here's I did even a little better. I did Zaha anytime, parlayed with Sun anytime and Vardy anytime and Vardy ended up not playing. So that got voided and Sun scored. So I won that bet. That was my only win of the weekend. <laughs> oh, not a bad win though. It was like what? Two, uh, five to two. And I think like two to one. So you didn't yeah, match yeah, your, you didn't match your 10 K stake like you did in the, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I put, I, I put 10 K on my 10 K stake. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be a tough couple of weeks. I put, I, I put my 10K on my bet of the week and proceeded to watch three, two of the five in the accumulator lose. And he put 10K and then 2K of mine. <laughs> the, the only Took good my news winnings. was that I did at least. <laughs> the only good news was I at least did win a burger and a pint out of the weekend. And maybe that's our opportunity to get our football reaction coming up and return to our status as a Niners podcast. How good do the Niners look? Jimmy G, back to his beautiful best. Wait, I'm confused. I thought you were giving me 10 points and I was taking the Rams. You got, you, well, <laughs> you, you gave me seven points or seven and a half, I should say. So that yeah. one was- Oh, I thought play, you were giving but... me seven and a half. I had that completely yeah. reversed. <laughs> you did. <laughs> yeah. So, do we want to start off no, with that Niners game? Look good. I mean, unfortunately, I you mean, said that we're well. done talking the... about the Niners. So, you said that they're done. Well, and we're done you, talking about look, them. You know, I mean, I think they still are done. I, I was impressed. The thing I liked about, in, the only thing I'll say about them, defensively, they looked pretty good. That was refreshing to see. Also, they had all of their kind of, you felt like you had the full arsenal of 
men come, like moving in motion and like Debo Samuels, you know, it's like picking the ball up to like in motion as a running back Kittle in motion constantly. That's when the Niners look really dangerous. And a couple times this season, they've kind of felt like they've abandoned that a little bit. And to me, that's the only thing that separates them from a lot of the other teams. So it was good to see that back. My bigger takeaway in this, not even really to talk about the Niners, but I was pretty high on the Rams early on in this season. And they just seem like early on this year, I thought they were back to the Rams of two years ago. And now it just looks like they're back to the Rams of a year ago. I think it all rides on golf. He, the Niners defense looked good, but Goff also looked bad. I mean, he was missing yeah. open targets. Yeah. He, he was really like timid in the pocket, you know, like he wasn't stepping up in the pockets and things like that. He just did. He looked like Goff of last year and not Goff of the two years ago MVP caliber. You know, he did not look good at all. And I think if the Rams are to be good, he has to be good. Yeah, probably. You know, I mean, I think, Goff is kind of showing what he is, which is an okay quarterback who sometimes will be great and sometimes will be awful. And that probably that's going to hold the back the Rams from ever being sort of great with him under center. Like to me, that's the status they have now. I couldn't trust them. To me, they're firmly out of ever. The Rams fall into that, that zone now for me where I'm kind of scared ever to bet against them because I know how good they potentially could be but I would feel very uncomfortable ever betting on them. And what do you think of Jimmy G? I think he's starting to become the next coming of Alex Smith. Coming full circle, full circle in, in San Fran. I, that's probably a fair assessment. Like I think he's, I, I think that he's the kind of quarterback who best case scenario, he's not the one who wins you the Super Bowl, but he doesn't lose it. And in a way, that's what last year was, right? In the moment they needed him to win the Super Bowl on that deep throw to Emmanuel Sanders, he couldn't do it. So in a way, that's probably fair. Now you could argue that the Niners are, have built a team where they have so many weapons around him and offensively and defensively in key positions, where maybe that's all you need. The question would be that they're paying him quite a lot of money to be maybe the 15th best quarterback in the league. So I don't know. I still don't know how I feel about him as to whether or not you do look for a replacement either through the draft at some point, or if a decent free agent came of it became available, but yeah, just so I I mean, I'm not just, so I'm not like pulling this out of my ass. He was passes over 10 yards. He only attempted eight out of his 33 and he only completed four out of the eight. So, you know, 80, 70, 80% of his passes were all under 10 yards, which, I mean, hey, if if that's the offense you are, that's the offense you are. You know, it's kind of the opposite of the Seahawks and Russell Wilson, who just likes to go deep every other play. But, I mean, the 44-yard touchdown pass to Kittle, that was a five-yard slant, and he just took it to the house. So, I mean, if it works, it yeah, works. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the thing is, I think you have to look beyond those stats. They're not an offense built on actual deep throws they don't have receivers that kind of suit that so in that respect i'm not going to kill him for that one thing i will say is maybe the niners with a little bit of scouting may have identified the replacement for kittle uh, for uh well for kittle and jimmy g this weekend which is julian edelman who completed two passes this weekend and i think now his career passes i think he's seven for eight career passing attempts 
Well, he used to be a QB, right? Yeah, he was at Kent State. He was a QB, yeah. So he was, he's either seven for eight or eight for nine. I can't remember what it is. But maybe that's our way to kind of shift on to the Pats game, the f- true disappointments of this of this weekend. Who looked they who looked awful. I mean, they were the killer for me. I think the killer for a lot of people. The thing I'll say is they nearly dug themselves out of the hole in the sense that they had the ball with the ability to win it on a final drive. They absolutely did not deserve to be in that position. The Broncos well and truly outplayed them over the course of that game. And the Broncos beating them was totally, totally justified. Yeah, the Broncos outplayed them, but God, Drew Locke is terrible. He if if he was a somewhat decent QB, the Broncos could have won that by twenty points. I mean, the fact that oh, sure. the, the Pats were in the game was because as good as the Broncos were playing, Drew Locke was playing that poorly that he was like pulling the team down. I mean, if you're a Broncos player, that's one of those games where you have to be so frustrated where it's like, listen, we're putting together a great game here. We're going to beat the freaking New England Patriots. Can you get your head out of your ass and start playing a goddamn good game? Yeah. Like he, even when last year, when they went four and one, he sucked when they went four and one last year. He's terrible. Yeah. It does say a lot about it when the, Broncos didn't get in the end zone once. And if it wasn't for McManus's boot, they were scoring nothing against an awful Patriots performance. Like fundamentally, they could have. The Patriots D is their strength, right? The Patriots D. Here's what I'll say is you can look at it, you can look at it as the lock was the reason, like they should have won more easily. I'd flip it. How do you feel walking off that field if field if you're Cam Newton? And literally you're saying, I wasn't the best quarterback on the Patriots this weekend. Like legitimately Edelman walks off there going like, like I texted you because I was obviously watching this game throughout. And I texted Frank when they had to pull off, pull out the first trick play on the attempt at like the game winning drive where they had the like kind of flea flicker to Edelman and completed for the first pass. And I said to Frank, not a good sign when you're having to pull out a trick play on like the game winning drive not a good sign the fact that they then had to go back into their barrel of tricks and pull out a second game winning like a trick play like five plays later on that drive shows 100 percent what they felt about cam newton that day that was clear that they were basically saying like cam newton is not going to win us this game and like you can say everything you want about about Locke, but at least Locke was coming up against arguably one of the best defenses in the league. And I know the Broncos' defense is not awful, and they got some players back this weekend. And okay, Cam Newton's also coming back from having had COVID, and maybe that's part of the analysis, right? Maybe the knock-on effect of maybe we rule out if I say that I'm going to stay away from the Rams, maybe I stay away from any teams with a quarterback who recently had a very serious illness. Maybe that's a new rule I apply to myself. Yeah. I mean, be quite a fair one when you just do that anyway. (laughs) Well, no, you could, I let Newton off the hook this game for the fact that he was out a decent amount of time from the COVID, even if it didn't affect him physically, just the pure fact that he's out of practice for what, it had to be almost a week, right? He has to sit Hold out. Hold on, Frank. Hold on, Frank. A few days ago, we talked with each other 
And we said, everyone said the Titans are going to suffer because they were out of practice with each other. And then we said, look how fresh and relaxed they look. So I'm, I'm willing to take the fact that even if he just had fundamentally like a mild case of the flu, then that's not ideal preparation. Your body doesn't feel great. He might still not feel good going into the Sunday. That's fine. But if the, if the excuse is, sorry, we were just rusty. It's like, tell that to the Titans. They well, didn't look rusty. Yeah, but them. again, again, the Titans, though, I, I mean, Cam Newton is coming into New England. This is his first year in New England in the system with a no preseason. So you got to remember, he's only five weeks into the on a brand new team, five weeks in, and now he's got to sit out a full week, you know, not being prepared, not that's into funny. the system as well. So that's one thing. But here's the other thing is that supposedly – they were pretty decimated in their practice squad and yeah. like a lot of the other starters and backups. So it's pretty hard to then come back to practice and not even probably have full, good, consistent, like meaningful practices. You know, it just sounded like it was a clusterfuck in New Look, England this whole week. So that's, that that's fine. However, he was missing wide open receivers by a couple yards. And so was Garoppolo easy. the week before when he was injured. And then now this week he looked great. So, I mean, Jimmy, you have to give him a oh, week. He looked great now. Hold on. Can we, can we cut that one too, Sam? Jimmy G looked great. Second ago. I mean, Stats-wise, it looked great. What's he the, hit every target he, almost. Stats-wise, like you, you were killing him a second ago for passes over 10 yards. No, I said he's a game manager. I didn't say he played bad as a game manager. I just but said he didn't go deep. game manager. Okay. He had a good game. I mean, he, he was hitting everybody. Way. I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. An injured Jimmy G would have beaten the Broncos this weekend. But an Im- injured Jimmy G couldn't win the game before. Exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I think it's too early to write off the Patriots is, is what I'm saying. Oh, I'm not, I, I think you have well, to see next week. If they come back next week and play a lot better, then I'm still on board that they can make the playoffs. I mean, this is their first losing start through week five here since 2001, like 19 years. So it's definitely yeah. uncharted territory for them. No, look, I'm not ruling them off, ruling them out. There's every chance they make the playoffs and the Patriots in the playoffs are a dangerous animal, right? Like, Bill Belichick in the playoffs. I'm not. I'm not going to say. Look, I'd be. I'd be stunned if the Patriots made the Super Bowl or won the Super Bowl. Fundamentally, I'd be stunned, barring like any major transactions happening between now um, and the end of the season. That being said, yeah, I would still. I still kind of expect them to make the playoffs. Although it's kind of easy to forget they do have a losing record now, and there are quite a few teams with winning records in the AFC, like even with the expanded playoff system, they need to go on a kind of decent run. Like, you know, I mean, they're not even second in their division right now. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's some issues there. They're going to have to play well in their division and they're going to have to play well out of their division too. So, but I'm not dismissing them. I'm just saying that was, re- that was really bad. And, and if you're, yeah more than killing Locke for kind of allowing the Patriots to stay in that game by him not finishing drives. I would be more critical of the fact that you, if you're the Patriots D and you walked into that locker room and you would say like, 
are you kidding me guys? Like sometimes you were turning the ball over and giving them a short field. We held them to three points time and time again. And you guys just couldn't get three touchdowns to win this game. You like really against the Broncos. Speaking of the AFC East, did you see the Jets quarterback this weekend? Trevor Lawrence tore it up in the first half. 400 yards, five TDs, crushed it. Look out next season. Because when the Jets go 0-16, man, he is going to make an instant impact on that team. I mean, he won't. No, he He won't. won't. (laughs) Not until they get an actual team around him. Yeah, he won't. (laughs) But, But yeah, it will be interesting to see, like, you know, players pulling him down by his long flowing locks. That will be good to see in the NFL. One of the funny things I saw uh, in like one of the New York papers is that in Vegas, as of last night, after that Jets massacre by the Dolphins, there were still people putting money on the Jets to win the Super Bowl this year. Here, (laughs) I'll give you a question then. Let's use this as an example. Which do you think is more likely Jets go 0 and 16 or the Packers 12 and let's say 12 and 4. Hmm. That is a tough one. Wasn't our over under last podcast on them about three? We didn't we do two and a half? Yeah, we we basically yeah. agreed two to four losses for the season was yeah. the likely now. Here's the thing is we did all pick them. I mean, this is our way to move on. We did all pick the Packers to win this weekend against Tampa Bay. I mean, that was insane, right? 38 unanswered points. It's like Rogers had a melt, like something happened in Rogers head. And I mean, that's, I actually think that's the crazy thing is they looked so in control early on, like 10 up driving, you know, ball back at that point. It was like, Oh, okay. This is going to be a fairly straightforward Packers win. Even early on in the game, it was just like, okay, looks like business as usual as far as kind of the Packers are concerned so far this season. I will say we did all kind of talk about the fact that this had the potential for the Packers returning to earth game and they well and truly returned to earth challenger style. (laughs) Like uh, they, uh, (laughs) (laughs) oh God, (laughs) you know, that was, it was not pretty. I mean, also worth saying, I mean, the crazy stat out of that, which Sam and I have already discussed earlier today, this, that was only, that was Rogers third pick six of his career. That is an absolutely yeah. incredible stat. Two against Tampa is now. Yeah. That's even more incredible when you consider Tom Brady was on a streak starting this year of, what was it four straight weeks or three straight weeks with a pick six? it's an unbelievable stat. And the fact, as Sam mentioned, the fact that two of them have been against Tampa Bay, also crazy. Like, And you almost but, had a second one in this game. They, they yeah. took it out to what? The two yard line, right? The next, yeah. the next drive. Yeah. Yeah. And he hadn't um, thrown, he hadn't thrown a pick all season. And then he had those, it's like back to back drives. Yeah. First pick. And then second one, next possession. I mean, whatever happened that got in his head because by the end of it you were honestly looking at benching him at one point by like the end of the third it was it was crazy they were doing absolutely probably, nothing i probably would have benched him just because obviously you have just to drafted a quarterback in the first round and i would have just seen that as an opportunity to give him a quarter he's out in a game he's out love oh was he out he's been out all season out? yeah oh, he hasn't been that. he hasn't suited Fair up enough, all season. Then. 
well then that take that back then. <laughs> I mean, Although I still maybe would have thrown him out there. He probably would have been better than Rogers even <laughs> if he can't walk. I I don't know though, because even at yeah, I guess maybe when it got to the 38 to 10, because even if to think at 28 to 10, it was still at halftime with Rogers, 18 points is not that crazy of a comeback, you know, but at the 38 to 10 at the end of the third, then, you know, you're looking at what four scores there. 20, 28 to 10, 28 to 10 is like, if we get, if we score the next points, if the, if the next scoring play is a touchdown for us, it's game on. But as soon as the next scoring play isn't a touchdown for you, it's like bench the starters. No point in this one. Flipping it the other way, though, Brady and Gronk uh, rolling back the good old days. I mean, Brady looking fine, 43 years old. That arm's looking yeah, he, good. Gronk looks yeah, like yeah, he's he looking, looking fine. He <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Gronk looks okay. Not, yeah, not Brady mobile, remembered. But... Brady remembered where he was. You know, that helped. Gronk he, did not. <laughs> yeah, that helped too. <laughs> Yeah, no, that was interesting. And I mean, it set up, right? Here's the interesting thing. If Tampa Bay, if the Bucs are good this year, we'll probably touch on one of these topics a little bit later, but with Sam will be pleased to find out that his pick of the Tampa Bay Rays to make the World Series came true. They are in the World Series. Obviously, you had Tampa Bay winning the Stanley Cup. What a year for Tampa Bay this could be. Yeah, big sports city potential could could suddenly be title town usa who saw that one coming <laughs> the thing i will say that was interesting about you that could, game you could even try you oh could God. even try and spin you could even try and spin the miami heat making the nba finals if nothing else what a year for florida you could even go for that general approach yeah what a year for florida they're they're dying left and right from COVID, but hey, at least their teams are winning. <laughs> at least they got fans in the stands. Well, that would be the good thing, right? When all those Floridians die, they'll be able to know, hey, there's a chance that 20, 30 years from now, people won't remember 2020 in Florida for the pandemic. Instead, they'll remember it for an amazing sporting year for the state of Florida. <laughs> Crazy to think, though. Rodgers and Brady didn't even top 200 yards. I think that's a pretty – I don't know many people who would have predicted that under 200 yeah. on both of them. You know, you yeah, think I mean, maybe if one does bad, then the other does good. I do think that's worth – people have kind of – when you've – I've seen some of the responses to the game uh, yesterday, today. Some people have just been like super complimentary about Brady. And look, he didn't put a foot wrong in many respects. But I think people have gone a little bit overboard of like he fundamentally got put in a position there where he did he just didn't need to forget what down it was. And they, they Oh, went. I mean he was up 14-10 without doing a single thing except hand the ball off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, so I mean that 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 would be the one thing. And look, that's the nature of it, right? If they'd lost and he had that stat line, people would be killing him for it. And we kind of talked about that on other episodes. Like if you win, everyone sees your performance is being so much better. Or even if you have a great performance in a defeat, people kind of focus in on maybe the one turnover or the one play you missed. And Tom Brady's in the kind of lucky position where people will just say like, oh yeah, well, he beat Rodgers. So 
last week, Eddie said that Mahomes had lost his MVP race. It can be argued that that, that same week, Josh Allen lost it. And now this week, maybe Rodgers is losing some footing. And that is opening up the door to the undefeated Tennessee Titans, Eddie. Are you a believer yet? Because they have two MVP candidates on that team. Are you a believer? Well, it depends what you're asking me, am I a believer in? Because I think his, like throughout this season, we've kind of all said that we don't think the Titans had enough respect at different times. Like We kind of consistently picked the Titans to win the game. I think the only time I picked against the Titans was that Bills game. And obviously got that well, that, all right, I'll rephrase it. wrong. I'll rephrase it. Can the, Am Titan, I believer, can can the, the Titans, Titans win the Super Bowl? Yes. Conceivably, yes. I'm not, I'm not saying I would bet on it, but yes. Are they in the top three teams no. to win the Super Bowl in your no, no top way. five? No. Wow. This is the team that made it to the AFC Championship last year, and now this year are undefeated, and you think they're not in the top five? No. Disrespect across the board. I don't think that's disrespect. I'm I'm saying I think that's absolutely disrespect. I think there's like eight teams at the moment that have legitimate Super Bowl chances. They're in that group. None of them winning would surprise me that much. But um I'm definitely not putting them in my top five. I mean, I guess in the sense I, I kind of have to think and figure out exactly who my top five are, which isn't something that I do on a daily basis. Um, but assuming... Oh, I do cheat. my top fives. Just <laughs> exactly. running, They're running through my head 24-7. Walking to work, <laughs> top fives, top fives. Just like a top five, top fives. <laughs> I mean, if I think that I've got the Chiefs for sure in, right? I've got the Seahawks for sure in. Now, you think the Seahawks are a more legitimate contender to win the Super Bowl with absolutely no defense than the Tennessee Titans? Yeah, for two reasons. One, I think overall, I think they have the potential to be better. They've got stuff to fix, but they've got the potential to be better. The other thing they have going for them is that, kind of as we discussed last week, the NFC is clearly weaker than the AFC. So the fact that the... Seahawks are going to get to good, potentially get to the Super Bowl without having to play the Chiefs. You know, like that's the team you kind of want to be avoiding right now. So to me, that's the, you know, that's the big thing they have going in their favor. Yeah, I, I think I'm starting to be a believer. I don't know. And I guess the argument too that I also I was bringing up in there is who is the most valuable player even on that team? Is it Ryan Tannehill who, you know, played a great game yesterday, drove them back, came back, had a nice win. Or is it Derrick Henry, who is kind of the only running back right now that I would say goes against our argument of any running back can be fit into a position and do well. I think he is going above and beyond that. So I I don't know who you would even pick as the most valuable player on that team. To me, it's clearly Henry. Like it's not even really to acquire, but but here's my argument against that. Wait, real quick, I'll just give you my argument against it. Is since Tannehill's come in, they're fourteen and four. Before Tannehill came in, and Marcus Mariota was the quarterback, and Derrick Henry was still the running back, they weren't very good. 
Sure, but yeah, you can't be a running back in a team that's like constantly turning the ball over. So that's going to make you look bad. Tannehill, Tannehill's a very good game manager. He's Alex Smith to me. You you talking about Jimmy G being Alex Smith? Tannehill's Alex Smith. And okay, he had one very good play in that game, the fake spike, right? <laughs> Deserves credit for that. Good move. Probably won't be talking about it for as long as they talk about like Marino's Marino's fake spike. But still, a good play by him. But fundamentally, most of what he does, the thing he's good at is he just doesn't turn the ball over. So and that's not like that's no small feat, right? There's tons of decent quarterbacks in the NFL who are undone by the fact that they turn the ball over on a consistent basis. But put it this way, you can't tell me, and it's tough to say because obviously they drove down the field with 80 seconds left or whatever it was to take the game to overtime, but you can't tell me if it was a playoff game and the Titans are getting the ball back down seven with under two minutes. I'm not loving the fact that you've got Tannehill as the quarterback. All right, real quick. I'm just going to read you a stat line, and I'm going to read you another stat line. Okay. Quarterback one. His team is four and one. He's got a 65% completion rating, 13 TDs, two interceptions, 1,374 yards, a QBR of 85. Player B has a a 70% completion rating, so 5% more. He has 1,368 yards, so six yards less, 13 TDs, same amount, two interceptions, same amount, and his QBR is 85.5, so 0.3 better. That is Aaron Rodgers is player one and Ryan Tannehill is player two. So I don't understand how you can call him a game manager when he has the exact same stat line as Aaron Rodgers. And you could put in Josh Allen has 200 more yards, but is practically the same as well. Okay, let's just pump the brakes for another second. Let me give you another few set of facts. Let's go through the teams, the Titans. Oh, and Tannehill's 5-0, sorry. Okay, let's go through the teams, those five teams they've beaten. The Broncos, 16-14. The Jags, 33-30. The Vikings, 31-30. The Titans, I mean the Bills, 42-16. And then Oof, the Texans, that's a massacre. 40, 42, 36. There's one good win in that. You, the other day when you were talking about the teams that had played, like when we were doing like how many wins does the other team have? Well, the Titans are playing against a bunch of teams with not many wins and they're not beating them convincingly with the exception of the Bills. And funnily enough, the only good team they've played is the only they team massacred. they've looked really quite, quite good against. Yeah. Prove well, my so- point, Eddie. What's their schedule coming up then, I guess? Because well, here we here, here, here. Well, they have the Steelers coming up. I cannot wait test. for that game. <laughs> that's the test. Yeah, for sure. The, that's the, the test. The Steelers will be the test. They have a few tests. In the next uh, few games, they play the Steelers. They play the Bears, which is also kind of like an interesting test because the Bears. to me, the Titans might just the Titans might just be a slightly better version of the Bears. So no way that is such a slap in the face to see you are a hater of the titans you are disrespecting them they play the colts they play the ravens 
Oh yeah. I love I mean, it. I mean, they I'm could be 16 and oh. You look at the remaining f- games. So they play the Steelers, the tough one. They play the Bengals. That will be a win. They play the Bears in Chicago. Let's give them the win, but it's tough. They play the Colts. Dub Bears. Tough. They play the Ravens. They play the Colts again. They play the Browns. Then they play the Jags, the Lions, the Packers, and the the Texans. They might not win that many of those games. Or they might win them all. Well, Whoa. yeah, you, yeah. Can, you could say that <laughs> yeah. about everyone. <laughs> no, you can't say that about the Jets. <laughs> I mean, it is technically a possibility. <laughs> yeah, it will be a very good test these next few weeks coming up. But I still think, I mean, I don't think people are giving them enough credit for how consistently they are winning. I mean, that's no, the bottom look, line. And we've said already throughout the year right we have no we have mentioned several lines where we think that they don't get even this week i think we all kind of agreed that they weren't getting now ironically frank you were the only person here who picked the texans i know and you know what i was really close to texting you guys midway through the third quarter being like there's my upset (laughs) but i bit my lip and of course it ended up not happening (laughs) so your argument that i'm not giving them enough respect or sam's not giving them enough respect we gave them respect coming into this week and you didn't so (laughs) yeah look i think every week almost we felt like they haven't had enough respect in the line that being said, they're not covering a lot of lines because they are squeezing out wins against teams. So, like, equally, you look at the way they've won games, you can't like them by more than four or five points because they don't win by more than four or five points. Yeah. I mean, they're lucky. It, they The fact that they covered... I mean, let's talk about two things from that game. The decision to go for two... Stupid. ...is dumb. <laughs> really dumb. And the fact that they ended up covering in overtime with a touchdown is also relatively rare you know a lot of times if you have a team favored if you've got a team by minus four or more and you're going into overtime you're seriously concerned that you're looking at just like maybe they win but it's probably a game-winning field goal now so the fact that the fact that you had them down seven with 80 seconds to play and they covered a four-point spread like that's a miracle if you had you know put your money on the titans but I guess it, because I know we wanted to talk a little bit about analytics, the decision to go for two, I kind of, there's the element of you kill the game, but we talked about it on the fourth and one in the Vikings game a week ago. And to me, what I just don't get is you think like, so what's the risk? We fail here and it's a seven point game now. So we're basically saying a touchdown game over, a touchdown overtime, which okay we could back our D to stop them from getting a touchdown in 80 seconds. But if you're saying a touchdown plus a two point conversion, you're just raising that level of difficulty significantly. It it goes back in a sense to then not that this is a great rule, but like kind of what I discussed last week, how many good plays are you asking the other team to make in order to win that game? And fundamentally, if you said they need the touchdown and the two point conversion, you're at least saying you need two good plays and then you're just in overtime. So you're saying three, but funny, like if you're like, well, you stop us on a two point conversion. Well, so here's my question though, is did the outcome of this game kind of prove the analytics correct or not? Because the analytics are saying to go for the two 
because chances are either they're going to get seven or eight because a two point conversion should be, I think it's like 60%, 65% success rate. And that with that outcome, you're either going to go to overtime and get a tie, or you're going to go to overtime with the potential to, to lose it versus if you go up nine, you've basically won the game. And in this instance, they didn't get it. So they went up seven, but they ended up getting the tie going to overtime and losing. So wouldn't, doesn't that kind of prove the analytics right that you would have had to have gotten to nine to win that game because you didn't get to the two score scenario. You stayed in a one score scenario and lost. The thing is we don't, we don't know, right? Cause we didn't get to see the Titans going for, for two. I know, but, that, but that, I that think, but I think that kind of shows the analytics part of it is assuming, I, I mean, the more I read into it, I, I, I don't, I don't dislike that move because. Oh no, man. It's such a, here's, here's the thing is the, the thing that was perfect about the week before. But wait, wait, real, real quick. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go. I'll let you go. go ahead. The thing that was perfect about the Seattle situation, right. Is we got to see them go for two. And as we said at the moment, okay, maybe a different pre- level of pressure on going for two to extend it to a three point lead versus to tie the game. So we didn't get to see necessarily the exact scenario, but at least fundamentally kind of got to see them run that play and they failed so there you kind of got to say wrong move now here there's two things i'll say is the there was nothing about the way that they'd been playing that made me think that they were going to be successful in a two-point conversion they weren't like moving the ball at ease they weren't um you know like converting on short down distances really easily so why do you think you're suddenly going to be unstoppable on a two point conversion. Like the, the thing, the stats are going to be misleading at times because a lot of the teams that run two point conversion consistently are good at doing them. And they have a setup that works. Like you have a super mobile quarterback, you just roll them out. Like the Chiefs are good at them, the Ravens are good at them. You know, like there's a there are teams where you'd say two point the two point move is a good move. I don't think it's a good move for every team. I don't think I don't think every team has a 60% chance of con- completing a two point conversion. Okay, then, then if you flip that script and you say that they have to get to the nine points because otherwise it's a one-score game and you're saying you'd rather have the team have to go for the two than to just kick the extra point to take it to OT, yeah, okay. But now look at the team you're playing against. How many times are you going to stuff Derrick Henry on a two-point conversion? I mean, Derrick Henry's rate on a two-point conversion is probably 95%. So you have to assume that if the Titans get the ball and score the touchdown – their conversion of a two-point conversion with Derrick Henry in there is probably really high. So for me, I'm thinking, you know what? I don't want them. If they score, we're going to go to overtime, whether we're up seven or up eight, because we can't stop Derrick Henry. He's got 220 yards rushing this game. Well, that was a little bit before, but you know, he had 170 yards rushing already at that point. We can't stop him. We can't stop him for two yards. So you know what? We need to get to nine points and make it a two-score game. Otherwise, we're going to go to OT and we'll probably lose. And that's what they did. For me, you surely uh, analytics aside, and I guess slight lack of knowledge aside, but surely you want to put more game-winning events in front of the opposition team, and that's exactly. It, it seems dumb for me because what you want to do is you want to be like, right, you've got to score, but then you've got to do something. Right, then you've got to do a two-pointer, and for me, but- it just seems like you should put that in front of them. Like that's the option, right? Yeah, but then the other option is if you can get two yards on your two-point conversion, 
now you've put them in a scenario where they have to drive down the field, score, then recover an onside kick, and then get that and then score again or kick a field goal. That is the most unlikely scenario. And all you have to do is get two yards to, to make that scenario possible. I don't think it's a terrible yeah, call, no. especially against the Titans, especially against a team that was dominating you that second half. For them to get two yards, I would have said would have been no problem. Yeah, I mean, I just fundamentally disagree. I always but, throw it back too, right? I'm of that belief. I'm of that belief of like, what would I have done playing Madden? <laughs> and I know that that's mm. not. I know that that's not <laughs> the greatest comparison, right? But I think there's elements sometimes where not NFL punted. coaches <laughs> could, could do with the idea. No, I'm actually a punter, as I think Sam can attest. I punt. I think Madden. you I'm, always. I'm an idiot when I'm, you always go for two point conversions. It, it doesn't even matter about the stage of the that scenario. Situation. I wouldn't. No, no, I wouldn't in that situation. Now, this interesting. <laughs> he, wait, wait. He would always go for two, all the time, no, except in that specific no, no. situation. He's like, nope, not going to stop. No, 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 no. I don't normally. I don't normally go for two in Madden. Maybe against Sam because he's garbage, but like, wow. <laughs> normally no. But here's what I'll say: is then here's the interesting comparison. I don't think they should have gone for two. Then in the Patriots game, so they were down 15, and I think they scored with around like six minutes left in the fourth, something around there, six, seven minutes in that stage. They decided to go for two and failed, and the announcers were killing them for it, like bad move, you want to keep that to a one-score game, you want to know you get the ball back. And to me, that is the part where I don't get. Like, You have to go for two, fairly early on so you know do we need the ball back another time to me okay maybe it's nice to think that you score with as the game expires and you kind of get this singular play and i guess as a coach that kind of removes any criticism in a very in the nfl right is a conservative league like fundamentally coaches try and avoid being the reason why their team lost so i get that approach in that respect but like to me, I want to go for two and know, okay, now we need two scores. So that's going to change the way we play defense. It's going to change the way we use our timeouts. And when we get the ball back, it's going to change how quickly we think we need to go down the field. And yes. There, I just so, don't get it. Yeah. So for those who kind of didn't get what Eddie was saying, they were down 15, right? Yeah, down 15. Down 15, scored the touchdown and kicked the extra point. No, no, they went for two. Down eight versus no, no. going for two. What? No, they went for two. Oh, sorry. Yeah, they went. Yeah, yeah. They went for two instead of kicking the extra point to yeah. go down eight. Yes. And this is the exact same scenario that happened in the Sunday night game when the Rams scored the touchdown down 15 and went for the extra point to go down eight. And Al Michaels said that that is absolutely the correct call not to go for two. He said, I respect analytics, but sometimes I think you need to just to throw them in the dumpster and play with your head. Now, I don't know what head Al, Al Michaels has on him because I am 100% with you, Eddie. Wouldn't you want to know if you need to get the ball back again? Wouldn't you rather know with two minutes left? Oh, shit, we missed our two-point conversion, now we need to score quickly, get an onside kick and score again versus being down by eight, driving down the field with five seconds left and then missing the two-point conversion and going, oh, shit, now we got no time left. Whoops, we fucked that up. 
that it's the dumbest thing to not want to know what you need to do as early as possible with limited amount of time left. I don't understand that. And, and I, I wish I could have like tweeted Al Michaels because that was the dumbest thing he's ever said. You could have. I don't have Twitter, so I couldn't have. Well, it's not that hard to sign up, Frank. <laughs> it's really difficult sometimes to sign up to things. Here's the only thing. Yeah. I think it depends. I think it depends how much time is left in the game. So I think if you're in a Oh, if there's like eight minutes, then that's different. But when, when no, you have like a me, minute or two left. No, see, I actually disagree with you. I think if you're under about three minutes, I don't, I want to kick the extra point and keep it a, a technically one score game. Because I think you send your defense back onto the field, motivated, knowing if we can get the ball back, we give our offense a chance to tie this game. Whereas I think if you send them back on the field down nine, they are like game over. What's the point in this? We need an absolute miracle to turn this around. We need to turn the ball over once or stop them with like, depending on your timeouts, team timeout situation, then we got to either recover the onside kick or somehow turn the ball over again. Now in the Patriot situation, it was different because there was, you know, five, six minutes left. So you fund them and they had two timeouts. You knew you were getting the ball back kind of no matter what, like barring a six minute drive and equally you had a realistic chance without even forcing a turnover of getting the ball back twice. So to me there, you go for the two so that you know, all right, this is the situation we're in. When we get the ball back next time, we can go on a slow drive to tie the game and take it to overtime, or do we need to hurry up so that we, we need the ball back another time? But I don't want to go for two to effectively end the game with... Uh, 90 seconds, two minutes left. I'll disagree with you there. Now, see, I, I always think you want to know with as much time as possible. And we can actually bring this full circle with the whole two-point conversion, winning or losing games, because the Washington Redskins against the Giants in an absolute shit game. Really, Frank? Well, they scored with 30 seconds left, down you seven, did. and the... The, he's the not, Redskins. He's, he's not talking about you covering up the game. He's talking about the fact that you. you I almost said got him again twice. as well. <laughs> yeah. You did almost no, no, get he me said again. It twice. He, he... No, one and a half. No, no, you said it twice. <laughs> the Washington football team was down seven, scored with thirty seconds left, and decided to go for two for the win, and they missed their two point conversion. So well, well, here kind of be, I, that kind, kind of brings it argument. to full circle. Where like, how easy is it to get a two point conversion? But then again, I think you have to understand the team, like you know, like Eddie was saying. No, but whereas the, he, the, he he would be my real he would be my real argument, Frank. In a way, killing the decision to not put yourself up by the eight points. So yesterday, multiple teams went for two point conversions at crucial moments. You had the Patriots did it. You have um, Washington trying to extend the lead. You had. Uh, the Eagles needed the two-point conversion right to tie the game against the uh, Ravens. None of them got it. So the whole 60%, like it's so skewed by people, the weird teams that go for two-point conversions on their like first score, the scoring drive of the year, or they go for a weird two up 19 to push them to up 21 instead of being up 20. Those like no pressure two-point conversions 
changed the game, changed the statistics so much. But you look at yesterday, they're not gimmies. People talk about them like they're gimmies. Like the teams fail on them constantly. I certainly know that if I have a bet on a team and they need a two-point conversion to tie the game, I don't feel comfortable. The way yeah, the Eagles, are, the Eagles like, also got two two-point conversions that game. Not when it mattered. Not when it really mattered. Well, That's the point. Statistically, though, easy to get the two-point conversion when you're down twenty-one to like kind of chip into that lead. Yeah, not so hard. But when it's like game on the line, run our best play against the defense running, you know, like full focus running their possible best play with their best personnel out there, not quite so easy. I mean, probably for the Eagles, probably hurts too because you probably don't have that many two-point plays like really well rehearsed. So when you're running your third one in the same game, you kind of might have run out of the ones that you're like, this is our go-to. You know, like that might that might be one of your issues there too. In our only, probably only other noteworthy game, I'd say, so far, Steelers. How good do they look? I'm going to leave this silence in there so that people can appreciate that if people could have seen on camera, I th- so um, Frank just like really quickly opened up his oven, which is just off screen. And he out of it, he pulled up this nice, fresh, hot, steaming humble pie. And he's just, he's just pulled <laughs> Thank it. Thank God it was only placed- a steaming humble pie. <laughs> <laughs> he's just placed it in front of him and he's just taking a nice big bite of it. <laughs> yeah. They are looking good. They are looking pretty good. I I put that at about 75% Steelers looking good, 25% Browns looking pretty poor. Well, I mean, as it transpires, right, Baker was injured. Not that I think that excused how either how bad he was or how bad their offense was, but you can at least throw in the fact that you have a in the same way that we're giving the Patriots a mild pass with the Cam Newton situation, you have an injured quarterback, you'll get a little bit of leeway as to like how cr- critical will be of them against a good defense. But yeah, the Browns yeah. didn't look great, but I think the Steelers looked really good. Yeah. I, well, I think first with the Browns, uh, Baker doesn't look great at times, but I, I don't really want to put it on him so much. Because you watch his games and his offensive line pass block is terrible. He's constantly getting hit and pressured. There was one hit he took in that game where it looked like it it knocked the breath out of him for a minute. He was like on the ground, just like couldn't breathe, couldn't move, you know? And I think with him, what happens is when you hit him early, he gets really that, you know, that stereotypical happy feet in the pocket and he doesn't ever trust the pocket anymore ever. And he gets it. And as soon as he feels an inch of pressure, he's like out of there and it's plays dead. You know, he's just throwing it out of bounds, things like that. So part of that obviously is him. For a second, I I misunderstood when you went, you meant obviously the play is dead, but I thought he meant like he was like playing dead. dead. Like, like playing possum like mid play like senses the pocket collapsing and just collapses to the ground instantly like did they notice me guys did they notice me so I he, terrible yardage <laughs> just keep falling on the ground i think we got away with that one <laughs> they didn't touch me <laughs> 
<laughs> Everyone so, be quiet. I'm going to try and roll it, into the end zone. It, his stats don't look great, but I don't think a lot. Like, if you give him better pressure and you make him feel comfortable in the pocket, I think he'll be a lot more effective than he can be right now because he he did not look comfortable yesterday. And hats off to the Steelers' defense because I think they they are what's impressed me the most yesterday. They were all over him. Every play, it looked like they had two, three rushers on him. I mean, he he was all over the place. So that is a, a solid defense. I think they're, did I see they're the only defense in the NFL under 20 points, letting up like 18.8 or something like that. So they're, they're mean, playing year, well. This year in the NFL, being a defense giving up less than 30 points is pretty good. Yeah. But I think you're right about Mayfield um, with the, the like, that he panics. He gets the happy feet early. He doesn't go through his progressions, um, which, interestingly enough, actually was one of the criticisms that uh, Steve Young had of Jimmy Garoppolo early in the season, kind of the same sort of thing. Steve Young was basically saying that's one of the things he had to learn as an NFL quarterback and that it took him time. But that, and by time he meant a couple of years, but to have the confidence of like moving through your progressions and not like what he felt that Jimmy Garoppolo did was to like instantly almost give up on the play that you like didn't see a guy was open. And so instantly you've either moved on from that guy or you've decided that the play itself is just done for. And he's basically his message to them was like, it takes guys a little bit of time to get open. Like you can't imagine that every single like play your wide receiver is going to break from his route and be instantly open especially if you're expecting him to go like 20 25 yards downfield he's not going to just be a yard in front of a guy right from the line of scrimmage every single time so that maybe that's a piece of advice that baker needs to learn from as well particularly when he has such good wide receivers around him like you have to trust those guys that they are going to get themselves open and you have to trust that your pocket's going to protect you for the sort of three seconds you need sometimes for them to do that and instead he just panics and then i also think it's the downside to those like semi-mobile college quarterbacks which mayfield's in that category of like not genuinely mobile but kind of mobile where they think that they can make a play taking off because they could do it in college and it's like no everyone's faster here and bigger so when you try and roll out of your pocket and make a play you're just getting sacked well five times in the game right yeah. And I mean, I, like I said, I don't, I don't hold it too much against him because when you watch the games, he's getting massacred. I mean, I think just about anybody back there would be, you know, have happy feet and want to get the hell out of there. He, he just gets crushed. If I were him, I'd start screaming at my lineman at some point. I mean, the just that image of him, though, on the ground, that one hit he took, where the lineman tries to, like, kind of help him up, and he just is just completely immobile, obviously can't catch his breath. He's, you know, like, you got to feel dead. bad for him. He's playing dead. <laughs> he might have been dead. It might have been a, an act. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And also, tougher to do that once the game became clear that it was over. Like, it's one thing to stick in. He the did ice. get benched, right? <laughs> yeah, but it's it's one thing to stay in the pocket and like know you're going to throw and then get hit when it's a tight game and you want to make plays. But when you've kind of worked out in your head, this game is probably done. Do I really want to get hit four or five more times really hard by quite like a impressive 
line and linebackers, you probably at that moment, you're just like, you know what? Just get me out of here. And other interesting decisions from the weekend in the Premier League. Once again, uh, VAR reared its ugly head with two controversial decisions, both of both in the same match, and both probably well, I'd say you'd say both changed the outcome of the match. The yeah. less controversial of them, I suppose, being uh, Jordan Henderson's what probably would have been winning goal being disallowed because Sadio Mane was offside in the buildup. I guess because his shirt sleeve was a bit too big. I'm not I'm not entirely. I have to say watching it when they first showed the replay, I thought he was going to be offside and then when they actually cut to the like actual breaking down of the decision, suddenly it was a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. And even though to me it was funny and I want City to win the league, so I wasn't unhappy with the fact that he was offside, the fact that that those are the margins that we're talking about as we've discussed before, it's so ridiculous. Uh, yeah. There has to be some better rule for whether or not you're offside. There just has to be some improvement. But Sam, yeah. I'd be interested to then get your thoughts. That one's one thing, and we kind of discussed the offside rule before. But your thoughts on the Jordan Pickford, Virgil van Dyke situation. Frank, I don't know if you actually saw this. Yeah, did you see the tackle, Frank? No, I didn't actually. So um, Jordan Pickford, obviously, um, well, I guess former England goalkeeper. Let's call him that now, because I don't think he's getting anywhere <laughs> oh, near can, that number no, one position again. <laughs> no, you <laughs> like, can't say that yet. Honestly, you can't say that yet. But essentially, uh, ignoring all of the the VAR and what happened, essentially, Cross came in, and he nothing short of kind of ran out and scissor kicked, <laughs> like scissor swiped Van Dyke at knee high. Um, and he, Van Dyke's injury is his ACL, isn't it? Yeah, so he's out so he's for probably six to season. eight months. His season's done, so which obviously for Liverpool, for Liverpool, huge implications because he's probably their most important player. Oh, I just watched it now. Ooh. Oh, I I think for sure that's the, that's the season. I I think Liverpool lose the league because of that event. Which let's be fair, Ever, Everton fans. Not even if you're not, if you're people who don't wish ill on a player, right? You don't want to see someone injured. They will probably be mildly pleased that the Merseyside derby has been involved in an incident that probably. As if it hasn't ended Liverpool's title hopes, has at least significantly dented them, far more than any them beating them would have done. Right, but here's the thing: is I don't. Some people have been talking Pick, about Pickford the, feels bad. It looks like some people have been talking. Well, here's the thing: is some people have been talking about it as if like what Pickford did was sort of malicious. I don't think so. I think he was just a goalkeeper coming out really quickly to make himself as big as possible. I think that's just like you get out, you, you throw yourself as big as you can. You try and get the get in the way of the ball. The controversy here, right, is the fact that it then turned out Van Dyke was offside, and so then there was no punishment for Pickford, <laughs> which raises an interesting question. We've yeah. always kind of laughed. Sam and I've always laughed. Wait, wait. Could, would there would there have been? So, oh, it was it was a penalty. That was it was going to be a penalty, and then the question becomes: 
it's probably just a booking for Pickford because the idea with the penalty now is to not have the double punishment of a penalty. Yeah. And however, okay. had it been interpreted as being sort of serious foul play, he could have also been sent off for what he'd done. Yeah. That's that's what's stupid about it because they do this set. It's almost like a step. So they're basically like, look, first things first, is it offside? Second one, is it a clear penalty? And then the third one is obviously the serious foul play and things like that. And because step one was yes, it basically invalidates everything past it. But apparently you can check for a red card if, if you know, the offside is an offside. You can still check to see if it is serious foul play. But the thing is, apparently VAR did check the... Um, there's a bit of confusion about it, but apparently VAR checked the tackle to see if it was serious foul play and it deserved a red card. And they didn't even recommend that the referee go to take a second look at it or anything like that. So it means that would mean if reported correctly that they saw this absolute scissor knee high tackle and said genuine attempt to play the ball. That's, that's the what is, they're saying. That's what they're this is, with that. This, this is this is where I do struggle with it. I think it is a genuine attempt to play the ball in a way. So it, part of me doesn't dislike the fact that he wasn't then sent off, even if he was offside. To me, it raises a more interesting question about the rules, which is, should you being offside then invalidate the potential of, say, winning <laughs> a penalty or a free kick? It's an interesting one. I mean, we always joke about it, Sam, in, in like FIFA. Because we'll always have like a like a player's offside, and then we intentionally try and scythe someone down. Now, the good thing about FIFA is the game is programmed in such a way that you don't injure someone when you do that. It's just funny to like horrifically take someone out and the referee not notice it. And fundamentally, <laughs> some, some sense of humor you've got, Eddie. No, no, no. But it, but the, this is this is a funny point that Eddie's making because it does mean that you get this like brief window where you're like, he's offside. So I'm going to absolutely destroy him and nothing will happen because of it. <laughs> because it's offside, it invalidates <laughs> everything after. Yeah, and to me, that's, it's weird. And now here's the thing is, it's obviously not the case, right? Because you have players who are sent off for off the ball incidents or for things when one foul occurs and then another foul occurs and that kind of the, the more serious nature of the second foul means that that's the one that's dealt with. So you have it happen in football all the time. It's just interesting to me in a way that they are kind of saying, and not that I think there are many footballers in the world who would ever intentionally try and injure another player, but they are raising Roy the possibility. Yeah. But they are raising the possibility that you could know a player was offside and then decide to throw yourself into a very dangerous tackle in a sense, knowing that it was a win-win situation almost. And that to me is interesting. And I don't know whether you should say, like it's a weird one, right? But part of me feels like if he's offside, you can still give away a penalty. You fouled him. It's not as if play ground to an immediate halt. Right? Cause, so that's the tough one. VAR. Or maybe at least a dead ball, you know, an indirect free kick in the penalty area, something that's gone totally out of fashion. You never see those anymore. You used to see them when we were when we were kids. You used to see them all the time. You never see them anymore. What the indirect it, free kick in the box? Yeah, you just yeah, never see it. I mean, I mean, remember Alan Shearer's Alan Shearer's yeah. England goal? That's like one of my most famous goals. When 
yeah, just yeah. thumped it from like three I, yards out. I feel out. like I saw. I feel like I saw Shearer take at least ten indirect free kicks in the penalty area over the course of his career. I can't remember seeing a single one in the past few years. I'm sure someone will point out one that I've forgotten, but fundamentally, you never see them anymore. And they were relatively commonplace in the now, which is the other thing, right? We've seen the spike in penalties. And then, and I mean, I guess it's also, that's the, that's the world in which this penal, non-penalty decision has to be viewed. We're giving away penalties for handballs where like players are half an inch away from the ball, not looking, and it gets smacked into their hand and that's a penalty. But, oh, you ended, potentially ended someone's career, but sorry, he was a foot offside when it happened. Nah, we'll just Eddie, we'll overlook that is, one. Isn't it a little difficult though to to kind of change it into what you're saying because because of VAR because now they're letting a lot of offside plays carry on and not stopping them right away where you're going to have so many more scenarios like that pop yes. up so there's a there's a higher likelihood of that happening so it's more of a 100%. risk to to then say we're still going to award penalties because 5 years ago you wouldn't have had every play just continuing for no stupid reason, just because we have VAR. So let's just let the play continue and go to VAR. Hundred percent. No, you're right. So there's I, no, there's no perfect solution to that. In my mind, I think you'd have to draw a distinction between like plays that happen in a split second before the offside decision was made, or before a player might have known that there was an offside, versus say you let play run from just inside the half and a player runs for five seconds and then gets tackled from behind going into the penalty area. And you say, okay, that scenario shouldn't have happened. But when it's like a ball played into the box, a player was marginally offside, he instantly gets tackled. And it's like, well, no, we're not going to bail the defender out here because it turns out, because if he was so confident that the attacking player was offside, he shouldn't have made a challenge. But that's the dumb thing about how they implement offside as well, because it's, they check for it during, what is it? It can be at any point during an attacking phase. And I think we saw it last year with the Spurs-Man City game. It was where there was a handball maybe about seven or eight phases earlier. I'm probably exaggerating there, but there's probably like three or four. And Man City had that goal disallowed because it hit Laporte's arm and then bounced around a few people, a few shots. Then there was the goal. Yeah. But they were like, nope, there was a handball probably yeah. a good five or six seconds before the goal, maybe even more. And it's just, it's dumb. It's it's really dumb. It does it, It's not even, it, it's not getting implemented well, but also it's the inconsistency. This is something I never get. It's the inconsistency of when it's asked. It, it almost seems sometimes that the referees will ask if players scream enough at them. And then there'll be times yeah. where everyone's like, this is the most obvious thing to go check VAR. And they're like, nope, I'm so convinced. that Because the referees will come out and they'll be like, I'm so convinced of my decision that I'm not going to check VAR. And it's like, well, why is it there then? Yeah, no. And to me, that's where the English approach is broken. Because the European approach more of a fourth, well, fifth official telling you, oh, look, you might want to take a closer look at that. That's the better approach to me. I mean, rugby has it the best way, right? Which is the idea that um, they refer it, you know, phrasing it in a way where they put the video ref in a position where it's informing what specifically the level of doubt they're looking for. So already to me, that's an interesting approach. And then second of all, they look at it 
together on the big screen. So one, it keeps all the supporters or the players aware of what is being looked for and checked. And two, it means that the referee then automatically gets that second look at a major incident where he also gets to see it and kind of base that on what he saw with speaking with his linesman and having the understanding of, okay, this is what happened. This is what I saw. Okay, maybe now my opinion has changed. But yeah, this idea that in a sense, these video refs, these who I'm going to say unnamed, even though, okay, we know exactly who it is each time, but these kind of mystery video refs are out there making major decisions when you're not seeing them and you're not knowing exactly always what they're looking at or what sort of sequence or process they're going through. It's just ridiculous. Do you remember that absolute joke when it first came in where they used to draw the lines along the pitch? Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> Frank, did you ever see this? So basically, um, it, it's a sensible idea if you actually use like a CAD system that actually draws perfect lines. Which is, which is what they but do this, now. This guy essentially picked up a felt tip pen and just went across the screen. <laughs> and these lines were, honestly, if you got a protractor on them, they were 20 degrees off against the actual straight line. Because what they had done is they had taken the camera shot which was angled and then they've gone oh this is a straight line so they declared something offside when it actually he was about <laughs> half a yard on maybe or something but because of the angle and then obviously they corrected it because of that but i mean that's actually a good point eddie you were talking about rugby because what they say is that nfl does it as well it's like do I have enough evidence to overturn my initial decision? And I think that approach would change these offsides because if it's like his toe is offside, it's like, okay, the ruling would stand because it's marginal. The offside is marginal. Well, therefore... that, would be the t- well that would be the tough thing, right? Because they would argue that offside is absolute. So they would say, no, we have enough decision. We have enough evidence to overrule. To me, the offside rule just has to be changed. It has to be that you either have to be, to me, almost the clear daylight element, right, was the, what everyone said that you used to have, although that was never the rule. That was just like a guiding um, thing given to uh, touch judges to help them in a sense. Like if you saw clear daylight, he was probably offside. If you didn't, he probably wasn't. But in a way, the clear daylight rule, when you are then making this kind of such as exact interpretation would just make more sense because literally now you're just like, well, I've got bigger feet than you. I'm offside. I wasn't gaining an advantage, but I wear size 12. Well, if you got bigger feet, you're gaining a little bit of an advantage probably in other <laughs> thoughts. Well, Sam would as a size queen, but <laughs> uh, Frank, your shorts were riding up a little bit there talking about size, <laughs> talking about size queen. <laughs> A very clear view of quite a lot of you. <laughs> Fair to say, parts of you might have been offside if that had yeah. been a <laughs> controversial uh, goal line decision. Just learned a lot about Frank. <laughs> Tough to find shorts that fit sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Shame we've already discussed Stradivarius because otherwise that would have been a natural. <laughs> the Dukas the the swagger. <laughs> but yeah VAR is done VAR is they need to do something about it because you remember what was it when because one of the best things VAR could ever do is the goal line technology right 
that was going to be the thing that was going to almost be a game changer because there were so many instances where it's frustrating for that to happen and it's so obvious that technology can stop it. But then there was that time in the Aston Villa-Sheffield United game where it didn't work. And <laughs> or they, what was it? Yeah. So all of the sensors... Um, were were uh, obstructed. Every single blocked, sensor yeah. Yeah, yeah. was obstructed. So now, now here's the it. thing, it's right. They could fix that. They, they're refusing to put chips in the ball. So they could, they could fix that scenario just by putting chips yeah. in and just having like GPS tracking on the ball and then it wouldn't right. be an issue either. But yeah, I mean, that at least, as unfortunate as that was, at least you can explain that one and just say, look, this was a freak scenario. Now, that turned out to be a huge one in the sense that that probably changed who went down in the Premier League. It and kept Aston Villa up and now they're yeah. going to win the league. So it's these that fine lines. Be, that might be a little bit extreme, but they... Overreaction of the week. They aren't going down this season in all likelihood, right? So you have bought Aston Villa a probably another few seasons of Premier League football, which is another huge chunk of money, which means that even in the scenario that Aston Villa do go down four or five seasons from now, they are in such a strong financial position when dropping back into the championship, they instantly become you know, very, very, very safe bets for staying in the league. So like, yeah, it, it has, it changes the landscape at the lower half of the table and potentially even the top half of the championship in the future. So huge, but you can you can understand that one and just being like, sorry. Although the problem there, right, is that they could have used the video ref to say, yeah, I can clearly see the ball was over. Yeah, why isn't that happening? Is it because they've been they've got no instruction to? I think like, so. Yeah, I think that, that was one of the, that that wasn't one of the things they're there to check. Um, you you would think you would just check it though, right? Just put on the goal and be like, oh, I'm just going to give it a check. And then you'd be you like, oh, thought, wait. You would have thought so. But then you, I guess part of you would be afraid that even though it looks really obvious on the video, that somehow there's something wrong with the video. And if all the sensors haven't gone off, that somehow then you're going to be the guy who steps in to say, no, 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 that ball was over the line. And the ref says, wait, really? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then after the match, they say, oh, no, he just had a weird angle. And then you realize how much money he had on it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> on first goal score. But uh, yeah. And the other, we spoke a little about the city Arsenal match. I kind of don't think it was noteworthy. Fairly dull match, City won. Yeah. That, that is what it is. The only other really interesting result from the Premier League, I guess, this weekend was the epic Spurs collapse. And I'm going to say collapse more than I'm going to give West Ham credit for the comeback but the incredible Spurs collapse uh, on Sunday night, which again, for context, for anyone who didn't watch it, they were 3-0 up with, I think the 82nd minute is when West Ham scored their first goal and managed to draw 3-0, which is just extraordinarily impressive. Also given the fact that they were just well on top anyway, so it wasn't one of those matches where you felt like, ooh, a goal could change things. When it went to 3-1, I thought, man, this isn't going to matter. Even at 3-2, I thought. And I mean, Gareth Bale nearly put them 4-2 up anyway. So only, it wasn't... only Mourinho could bring on Gareth Bale and draw 3 all from a 3-0 position. It, it's just... It, it's pretty spectacular because everyone was playing well for Spurs at that moment. You know, Kane obviously was scoring really well. Some was playing well. They brought Bale on. Everything was looking good for them to have a convincing win and a bit more momentum. And then to go and do that against 
those are the games that Spurs will look back. And if they miss out on any sort of like Champions League or Europe, those are the games where they look back and they're just like, this was ridiculous how we could have let it happen. And it just shows the, the, the kind of Mourinho, in my opinion, it just shows that kind of Mourinho approach of the kind of cautious build from the back, build on the fence you can, isn't happening. I don't think you can blame Mourinho for any of that. To me, that questions, it's the character in the squad. I don't think you can question Mourinho. I mean, maybe you make different subs, but you had to bring Bale on because you had to. You're trying to introduce him into the side, right? And you would have argued three 0 up, perfect time to bring Bale on and let him get some sort of, in a sense, sort of easy game time. But I don't know. I and okay, it took an extraordinary strike to make it three all anyway. So you also have to throw that one into the mix. Um, but no, I just think. I don't think you. I wish that they were still doing the Amazon uh, documentary about Spurs because I would like to see what Mourinho said when they went back in after the match. You could kind of tell me anything. You could tell me he didn't say anything, and I might yeah. believe that. I would. Just, I would actually go down like the genuine shell shock, where he's just like, "I'm not saying anything. Didn't go in. Didn't see him." But like, that's how I would do it. But you could also tell me that he just ripped them all apart one by one. The hairdryer treatment, yeah. I, I I worry for Spurs with those kind of collapses. I, I just feel like they have the capacity to... I, I just feel like they're a team that will have those more often than not this season compared to the teams that they're supposedly competing with. You know, the kind of Man U, Chelsea, Arsenal, uh, maybe three Wolves, Leicester in there as well. I, I just don't see... The Spurs look, even though... They've had some all right results, and obviously the Man U thumping was, you know, an incredible result. But I, they don't fill me with any confidence. And if anything, that has just kind of confirmed that for me. Yeah, I mean, you'd argue that they're scoring goals for fun, right? So they have that going for them. They look going forward. They look the most potent team in the league right now, and that's yeah. without that's without Gareth Bale playing any real part so far, right? So. You'd imagine that's only going to get better, um, but defensively, still huge question marks. It's okay; they got Eric Dyer. They could just bring Harry Maguire in and then have Eric Dyer and Harry Maguire at the back. Great yeah. co- name combination for starters, right? The Dyer Maguire pairing, but also just two massive heads slowly moving in the back line. <laughs> I mean, one they, slab like, head, <laughs> one slab head stuck there. The other one running off the field to take a shit. <laughs> it'd probably be smart, right? Because because if if you could maybe just put them on mild steroid plans. So I mean, this is coming from me, right? I've got a very big head, but if you could just put them on mild steroid plans, so their heads became just a little bit bigger, they might each get their own gravitational pull, and then just defending would be simple. Well, you can imagine that, like a shot whizzing past their head, and just the ball stopping. And just it's slamming just starting into their head. to like, yeah, just, just slamming slowly, in slowly, slowly, just starting to orbit around them. And yeah, no remember really who was that? Who was that Brazilian player who went like viral on the internet in a way before viral video concepts was a thing? But the one who used to do the seal headers all the way down the pitch, I don't know if you remember that. Like in the early 2000s, he became really famous for that. And he would just, there were vid- all these videos of him playing in the Brazilian league, and he would literally just put the ball on his head and just sprint down the pitch just bouncing like doing the head and then 
if you imagine it would be like that, but instead Harry Maguire and, or Eric Dyer would just have the ball orbiting around their head as they sprinted down the pitch before eventually just throwing themselves into the net to score. What's funny is those are the, at the moment I know Maguire scored, but those are the players with that kind of ability and gift. They would be the ones that somehow they would mess up this scenario. I don't know what Maguire would do. Like Curlon, by the way, it was Curlon. Who was also a great player and football manager for a while, which would tease if there are any football manager fans out there, we are going to have a great episode where we preview the upcoming release of the new version of football manager and talk to one of the major football manager content creators about football manager being an American supporting of kind of getting involved in the football world and just other things in general. But, we are probably our first real guest and it will be an exciting one out there for anyone who has had a moment in their life where they've become addicted to football slash championship manager. Got the new one coming out next month, actually. We could maybe, we could maybe coincide it with that. No, I think that's the goal, right? But to have him on a couple weeks before the, should I start playing in the new one? I mean, you can. I think we could we could report on the podcast (laughs) how we're all getting on. (laughs) Maybe you, maybe you. So Zealand is the guy. Maybe you and Zealand can start a file together. You can go, you can go on Twitch together and uh, stream your your new football manager file. But what you have to imagine, Frank, it's like imagine mixing football with Excel spreadsheets and just. Imagine okay, that. I'm interested. It is it is stats. You have just got a huge amount of tabbed screens and you are just statting it up. It's basically football's take on like how baseball looks for all the statisticians. I think yeah. you'd like it. And for yeah, context, I think I would for, like con- it. <laughs> for context, right? You don't actually play. You just watch your team. You're just the yeah. manager. So there's no actual control over what happens apart from giving them instructions and substituting players and changing tactics. That's it. Yeah. And then you get Eddie's um, semi-pedophilic manager tactics where he just um, where he just signs only like 15-year-old boys <laughs> most of the time. Although you've been prevented now, haven't you? From yeah, they've that. changed the regulations and it's my... Uh, my Jeffrey Epstein, my Jeffrey Epstein uh, child trafficking ring that I was starting in Blackburn every every year has had to been yeah like railed sort of tailed back in. Usually Brazilian boys as well, Frank. In case you were curious, they're the best because <laughs> you don't know boy or girl. You never know until they turn up. Sometimes I would get a great new star for the first eleven, and sometimes I get a girlfriend. Since we're on the European football talk and we've mentioned this in previous ones, have you guys seen the new Ronaldo Instagram post speaking about how he posted on those ones on his yacht with those weird posts and creepy messages that he put up? Have you seen the new one? No, what's he done? I mean, let's just say in future, Frank, if you ever have to ask either one of the questions, either one of us the question, have you seen Ronaldo's latest Instagram post? I think that you can just take no as the default answer. So you don't think Sam's trolling or on his Instagram post? No. Well, there. This is his new one. This is his new picture that he puts up. He's looking fat. 
It's just him in a skimpy bathing suit next to his private pool, just like with a smile on his face because he's in self-isolation because he tested positive. And it's yeah. his post is, don't let what you can't do stand in the way of what you can do. What I mean, the fuck is that I mean, supposed to mean I with mean, that picture? That really helps when you've got millions and millions yeah. of pounds worth of money. <laughs> like, well, it's really I, easy. I think we have, to, we have to analyze this in two different ways, right? The message itself, vapid, potentially meaningless, but well-intended, I suppose. That being said, the message combined with that image... <laughs> Is so him in dumb. a skimpy and skimpy bathing suit and look, I'm not, full shredded i'm, I'm not going to knock him if i looked that good i would be posting skimpy bathing suit pictures every 15 minutes right but so. if but if you looked that good and were him though would you still do it like if you were just a normal guy who looked that good and that was what you had going on in your life then yes but if you were also one of the best players in the world and have made like almost a billion dollars. Do you Supposedly still really need right? to post? Do you still really need to post all those up? Yes, I actually I think the opposite. It's quite small, though. I mean, <laughs> yes. for someone that's got like a billion, for, it seems like yeah. a small pool. It's oh, probably just his, just his bath. <laughs> yeah, that's just his. Yeah, that's just his indoor. That's just his indoor pool. Like, yeah, that's like yeah. the pool before the big pool. You know where you like the pool in his bathroom. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, like when you have, I mean, you used to do this when you, when you're a swimmer, like the pools that you get wet in before you then actually yeah. get into the pool so that your body's yeah. already wet. Yeah. But could be. It, 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 here's what I'll say. I disagree with you because I'm fine with him posting this in the sense that he has the life, the exact life that he wants. So I'm fine with him posting the kind of like smug, not that they are smug necessarily, but like the smug showing off Instagram post. If you're like a manager at Denny's, I don't care if you have that body. <laughs> if that's your Instagram post, I would be like, no, no, let's let's calm this one down, Steve. All right. Well, we don't care that you look like that. We know you're miserable every day when you wake up and go to work. I hope one of our fans is a Steve who's in current manager at Denny's and is just he is, and thrown I'm, he his is phone a, into the woods. He's he done. A, he's never listening again. He is. I'm just taking shots at him. He's been going to the gym. Yeah. He's been working. He's been working on Poor his guy. I'm, I'm yeah. letting him know. No one gives a shit, Steve. Your life still sucks. <laughs> Steve yeah, from Denny's has been talk. working his ass off the past year. <laughs> Hasn't eaten a Denny's meal in a year, even though he's the manager, just so he can keep his figure. Exactly. Just wanted to show show the world his progress. And I'm telling him, put it away. Nobody cares. So that's one COVID-related, I guess, occurrence. The other one, I think that's completely the opposite that was funny, is the Philadelphia Eagles are notorious for having the worst fan base in the NFL, they are super scummy. They'll fight anybody, throw beer bottles, glass anyone at a game. So much so that in the last stadium the Eagles had, there was a, a courthouse in the basement of the stadium that when people were arrested for fighting, they would just bring them right down there to sentence them, supposedly. Did you see that they are still fighting? in the stands because they're letting limited people in 
but it just makes it so funny because they have to be separated because of COVID. So there's this video of an Eagles fan fighting a Ravens fan, but he's got to climb down like nine rows of seats as he's just like yelling at him and just like trying to get over each row of the seats. So it's about 20 seconds of him like really struggling to get to this guy before he just starts unwailing at him. It was so funny. That's what you have to say, like that's when you know you're a real head case because like i can get getting into a fight or an argument but you'd usually think like if, if you have any opportunity to like calm down for a second or for you for you to like see the moment that you should stop i remember when i was a kid my dad's not like a big road rage guy or anything but once when we were driving this guy was just like right on his tail the whole time and then like multiple traffic lights honking at him and things and we were going through this windy road and eventually my dad kind of did the gesture of like oh you want to start like let's stop let's like sort this out and pulled over to the side of the road and the guy pulled over behind the guy got out of his car and my dad like opened his door and he went to get out too to take on the guy but he forgot to take his seatbelt off so he just, (laughs) (laughs) he just tried to hop out of the car and then just bounced back in and to his credit even he laughed but it also gave him that moment of just like his head cleared and then it was like what am i doing here let's just leave you've got to look cool like, doing it you lost yeah. all coolness but i feel like <laughs> you got the, stuck in a seatbelt i feel like that's the equivalent of having to hop over multiple steps it's like maybe by like row four you should be like what am i doing here <laughs> Yeah, so you guys are seeing, currently seeing the video now. <laughs> wow, they are really going for each other there. Oh, Eagles fans, no, no mercy, no mercy in Philly. But look, it's like he's already already doing it. That's two, three, four, five, six, seven. Someone's. What's impressive about that video though is there's a part where we actually, rather than because I would have like taken a step over then done another step he does it all in one go at one point like yeah. he is clearing the like left like left right, right left there. right yeah yeah no it's <laughs> you have to you have to give him a bit of credit there for like the style points like the degree of difficulty because i don't think i could clear it down over steps that smoothly <laughs> just, just seeing you do that and just like clip your left foot and just stack it <laughs> down the stairs now here's now here's my question. If you're the guy who is on the receiving end of this and saw this guy coming down, if you see him trip and eat it, do you then take your opportunity and yes. just wail yeah. on him? He's like knocked out cold from hitting his head on the seat. Like that's what your opportunity. He, you knew what he was coming to do. Absolutely, you're going over there, screaming <laughs> him. Well, here's the killer for that guy, right? So you have this moron hopping over the steps, um, like some. But he has a friend who just walks down the stairs on the left hand side, and then yeah. also also wails on the guy. So that's the unfortunate scenario for the guy inviting the oncoming traffic. Yeah the the very Philadelphia thing about this is not not so much the guy climbing over 10 rows just because he has to get into a fight, but the other guy who sneaks around the side, as, as, he, as Eddie said, and gets like three good shots in this guy as they're currently fighting each other. He just jumps in and cheap shots him four times and then walks away. <laughs> I mean, I guess you'd have to say the good, 
the thing that makes it even dumber, right? You have to know you're getting arrested. Oh, yeah. Like in a normal stadium scenario, maybe you're able to kind of re like merge back into the crowd, move away. Maybe you leave the stadium or just kind of like go and decide to get a drink and then kind of find a new spot to stand and watch the game in maybe. But the fact that you're one of only a few thousand people, it's fully empty seats. Someone's going to see you. The fact that you have to go through all that, it's like you're guaranteeing that you are going to prison. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, so the the related post for that video is a link that goes Philadelphia Eagles, another fan punches police horse. <laughs> That's when you know Philly is notorious for their fans. I when mean it's another what, is he is he like the thing I love about this is is he punching it because he felt like the horse was giving him shit? <laughs> What's that? Well, here's a real question for you, for both of you. Which horse in your history of following horse races have you most wanted to punch in the face post-race? I can tell you That's mine. That's a good question. I don't have to think about it. It's Annie Power. And I wish I could have approached Annie Power when it was sort of on Final the ground after, after, that, after that hurdle and just tried to sort of choke it out on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Would you have choked out Annie Power or Mullins? <laughs> I mean, uh, or Ruby wow. Walsh. Ruby Walsh. Wow. <laughs> Ruby Walsh, I could have probably done with one hand whilst also trying to tell you on the horse. I'm not, I'm not too... I've got the idea of Eddie like getting so pissed off at Annie Power and Ruby Walsh that he runs over to Mullins and starts strangling him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's also one of my favorite memories of attending a race. I remember when I was at Warwick and going to Warwick race course on one of the days when there were maybe only like 300 people there. It was for like a Wednesday afternoon day at the races, but obviously that had included a bunch of guys either on an office Christmas party or like a stag do like a bachelor party. And they just got absolutely trashed over the course of the races. And then in between the races at one moment in time, they were all egging each other on. And one of them decided to hop over the fence and run onto the straight. And he was maybe, I'm going to say two furlongs away from home from where he hopped over. And he decided to, he was just like sprinting down the home straight with his hands out screaming. And there weren't, there wasn't a lot of security there, but one or two stewards hopped over to try and chase him, but did so in pursuit, which was the, which was the odd move. Oh, no. it's like, you're going to, you got to outrun him now. And he obviously has way more motivation to run faster than you. And then a couple of police officers hopped on to try and catch him. So you were in this like bizarre Benny Hill sketch. It's a Benny you Hill. This, <laughs> yeah. You have this guy running down and credit to him. He not only kept going, but then with the way Warwick race course happens, like at the end of the home straight, it kind of feeds into a road. So he just proceeded to run straight into the road <laughs> and just never turned around and just left. <laughs> he had to do a solid, maybe 800 meter sprint to do it. But then just was Damn. gone. Never got caught. So when he when he when he ran into the on on the straight, there wasn't a race going or anything. No, that would have been actually. You know, that was the interesting. That happened this. There weekend. was. He won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, in New Zealand this. His weekend, name was I, Annie Power. <laughs> I saw this video from New Zealand horse racing this weekend. So as you know, um, 
it's like common, particularly in France, actually, it's super common that there are small like pitch and putt golf courses in the inner ring at racetracks or like driving ranges, that kind of stuff. Obviously, they have that in New Zealand quite often, too. And what is interesting is seemingly. They wait, 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 wait. So in the inner ring of the the racetrack? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You have That's that cool. at a lot of golf courses. And um, so even like Longchamp has a driving range in, in it. And I think it has, but the interesting thing is that um, normally in France, for example, and I'm, they close that when there's a day of races. Seeming in seemingly in New Zealand, they didn't. Oh God! And then some idiot who was playing golf obviously hit himself slightly off course onto the middle of the home straight, and then walked onto the home straight to play his try and play his shot, but did so with horses about 150 yards away from him. The video is quite incredible because it's this guy literally lining up his shot with his like five iron standing over the ball. And then he obviously suddenly either hears or sees the horses out of the corner of his eye and notices like eight horses barreling directly towards him and then just sprints (laughs) off and avoids any like serious injury or anything. But just the idiocy, a the idiocy on the part of the race course that they don't see that as like even just like if someone even if the person isn't dumb enough to run on just imagine that like someone like totally skewed a shot and just like nailed a jockey in the head Uh, that's that's what i was thinking like how furious would you be in the stands if you're betting on like the horse out in front at the moment you're about to make a killing and then you don't see it because the golf ball's too small but your horse just stacks it from being smacked in the side of the head I mean, even if it didn't hit the horse, right, it might be enough to spook it. So you might have an incident where the horse jinx and the jockey is unseated or the horse kind of comes to a halt and something. I mean, just really dumb on the part of the uh, race course to allow that to happen. But yeah, it happened. Another Throw that into another weird sporting incident from the weekend. I've never seen that before in the, the racetrack. I'll have to look out for that next time. France, I would say almost every racetrack in France has some golf course or like driving hmm. range in the middle because it's just a good way to use the, like the or you have area. weird scenarios like the racetrack at Saint-Malo has a rugby pitch in the middle. So it's like a multi-purpose venue where yeah. it has lower league French rugby and then, or it's a racetrack. Now, admittedly, it means that this stand is very far away from the rugby pitch if you do go and watch a match. But it makes sense because otherwise you'd have this huge area of land right in the middle, which in some instances, right, might be kind of prime real estate that is kind of unused and useless. Now, I guess final, we've kind of wrapped up some sports. We briefly mentioned baseball, but maybe worth saying uh, it's World Series time. And uh, Sam the Squid had another two for two round in his playoff predictions. So did I. Yeah, no, we all did. I'm a squid. I'm just I'm just saying that That's true. Sam the Squid is six for six on his most recent predictions. And I think he's now you're now ten for fourteen on your baseball picks for the playoffs. I had a really bad first round and I only got like fifty percent of them, I think. Yeah, you went four for four round one, four for eight round one, four for four round two, two for two round three, and now it's the World Series. So Sam, who is your World Series winner? The Tampa Bay Rays? or the LA Dodgers. 
I think they're going to have, I think that the title town you spoke about, I'm going Tampa. I think they're going to have a killer. Killer, yeah. Yeah, I'm going Tampa. And you have to say in how many? Oh. Well, let's say, let's say, no, no, wait, let's save that after. Let's everyone get their pick in and then we'll do how, so that everyone gets race. their, like, because what you don't want is a scenario that, like, Sam says in six, you also would have thought in six. So then you change your pick because you think it's more likely you win some other way. Gotcha. So, Frank, who's your pick? I'm going Dodgers. They had a nice comeback to make it into the series. And I think they'll ride that momentum. I'm a little torn here because I obviously, I predicted the Dodgers in round one. I don't like the fact that Clayton Kershaw is continuing to be a, an awful pitcher in the playoffs. To me, that's maybe one of the weirdest things in sport in a way that you have arguably the most dominant regular season pitcher of all time who is almost unstartable in the playoffs year. And this is now a relatively large sample size. So I don't love that fact, but because I picked the Dodgers the whole way around, I can't flip picks now. So I'm also going to take the Dodgers. So Sam, I guess how many how many games you think it goes doesn't matter now, but but what do you think the series score is? What's it out of? Does it change? Seven. <laughs> Love that question. <laughs> for anyone doubting, right? For for anyone thinking that we're making up your lack of knowledge, also your inability to like retain knowledge is the incredible part. This is one of those things. I kind of look forward to it. I I feel like. If our podcast becomes really popular, and I mean this with no, not as a dig at you, but you might kind of evolve. Like the Sam the Squid character is like the Carl Pilkington of our podcast. And the idea that you'd have this guy where people are like, surely, surely this is a character. Like by now he's figured out. Like he knows who these teams are. It's like, nah, he just instantly forgets. He somehow never sees any of the scores. I, I, really try i mean it's it's easy to do with baseball right it's not reported in the uk so it's kind of easy to avoid but i really try because i try to limit as much knowledge as, as i can to retain yeah. the innocence of my picks well baseball is going to be easy for you for two reasons one yes you're definitely going to forget and there's n almost no coverage in the uk like you will get nba highlights you obviously get NFL like live games and highlights but you even if you're watching like the full hour of Sky Sports news they they show almost no baseball like unless it's an extraordinary play or something they'll show when someone wins the World Series and they might yeah. show they might show the highlights at the very end now that it's the World Series games they might say like well the Dodgers beat the Rays 2-1 they might do that bit but fundamentally you're getting no coverage and the thing that will help you in future years is like there is quite a big turnover as to when teams are good. So a team can go from being good to bad and vice versa pretty quickly. But uh, if you don't well, want to- how many? Okay, we're going to say it at the same time. Like we did Sam- Oh wait, I'll, I'll go. Shall I go first? Because I don't want to hear your two and be no, in any you, way influenced. No, but you, yeah, you say yours, but yours doesn't matter because you're the only one who picked the Rays. So like the Rays win the World yeah. Series, you win. Okay. But, but tell us how many games. Um, I want it to go the distance, so I'm going to go. They do it. They do in it seven? in seven. Yeah. Oh, a thrill. He almost forgot again how many games. 
<laughs> it's like they go the distance. No, no, no. Uh, I, I, I didn't know whether. I, I didn't know whether. I didn't know whether to say they win four three or win in seven. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So Sam, you want to give us a three second countdown, and we'll say. Wait, how about I just write it down now, and then I'll just hold up. Yeah. Okay. So I'll do three, two, one. Then you show on four. All right. I've written mine down. All right. Go <laughs> ahead. Kind of Are you ready, Eddie? Go ahead. How many do you have? <laughs> Eddie can't show anything. <laughs> he doesn't have to yeah, show, but... just say how many. Six. Seven. All right. Wait, no, real quick. Let me scratch that out. <laughs> yeah, Frank's, Frank's screwed me here. He had seven different uh, cars. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a magician. I had, yeah. you know, like, I had all, no, no matter what you said, I had one for yeah, it. No matter, yeah, exactly. No matter what number I thought of, he was going to have it. The, for the size to the paper that was a really small seven that's true <laughs> yeah sorry it reminds me of the time i visited eddie and we watched can you beat penn and teller for about three hours that one day we just sat there watching can you stump penn and teller i love that show i know it's i i love magic i don't know why i just really enjoy magic yeah, I love magic, and I particularly like that show because I feel like at least you're getting a kind of sort of real representation of it in the sense that the goal of some of the people involved is to tell you that the trick isn't that good. Like, I hate, like, the Facebook magicians where you occasionally will get the video come up and you're like, this is so dumb. Like, it's obvious how he's done it. Meanwhile, you have yeah. morons in the comments section just being like, oh my God, oh my God, how did he do it? How did he do it? Like, it's even as stupid. Sometimes he will be like, it's when I like pick a number between one and seven. You're thinking of six. If you were thinking of six, like and reshare this. And then he just, everyone's like, oh my God. And it's like, you do realize you idiots, like only the people who thought of six are liking and resharing this. Everyone else was like, oh, that's, that's how he does it. That's clever. Wow. He must be some kind of sorcerer. <laughs> yeah, you're right though. But watching real magic be performed in front of magicians is always, you know, you have to have that step up because you have to be legit. My favorite, I went when I went to one of my cousin's weddings, um, there was this guy sitting next to me. I think I've told you this, Frank. Um, but the guy who I probably won't remember. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> the guy sitting next to me um, at the dinner. So we like got to talking. I was like, so what do you do? And he's like, oh, I'm a professional magician. I was like, no way. And he was like, yeah, yeah, that's what I do. I was like, this Best is wedding be the- ever. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then I was like, can you do a trick for me? And he was like, well, you know, like a lot of magic is involves like preparation and stuff. And his wife who was sitting opposite was like, of course he can do a trick for you and just as it turned out <laughs> he just comes loaded like <laughs> and he literally spent the next five hours first he started with our table just doing magic tricks and then obviously other tables like heard about it and then he just like it was if, if he'd been hired as a magician for the event it was like bringing people over do this trick for him again doing it the only thing that would suck for him is sometimes he'd do the trick and then be like do it again do it again for this guy and he'd be like I can't just like instantly do it again. Like I do have yeah. to like set it back up. And like, that's always like the mild downer, right? Cause you're like realizing that it's not real magic. <laughs> yeah, even though you don't think it's magic, there's still that moment of like, Oh, okay. You have to like 
set that deck up in the right way and stick that back up your sleeve and stuff. But it was amazing. It re- and he didn't, he was legitimately really good. He did tricks that, and equally he was, to me, he was like, oh, do you really like magic? Or are you just kind of like making fun of me? And I was like, no, 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 no. I really like magic. I was Can like, it be both? I, w- I was like, I watched Penn and Teller, like every episode of Penn and Teller fool us, like every one, every episode. And I like, I watched other magicians. I was like, this guy is my favorite magician. He has one trick I love. I don't know how he did it. He was like, oh, okay. You're like reasonably knowledgeable about magic for like a non-magic person. And I was like, yeah. So <laughs> for a non-madge. Non-madge. Harry Potter. He's a muckle. Eddie's a muckle. <laughs> Eddie, was this wedding in England or the US? It was in England. Oh, uh, then you were a muggle. <laughs> Had it been American, you would have been a non-match. <laughs> it was at this place called Hogwarts, I think. <laughs> His best trick of the night, though, was he ended up getting the married couple to get a divorce. And the behind the scenes was he actually slept with the, the bride. <laughs> oh, just, just to clear this up in case there's, he did not. <laughs> They are still. They are still. Happy. They are still happy. How did he do it? <laughs> they are still happily married. It's just illusions. That was, mirrors. That smoke wedding. of mirrors. <laughs> that was also the only wedding I've ever been to where I won a bet because when the speeches were about to go up, um, someone came round and for the best man speech, they uh, ran a sweepstake on how long the speech would be. So it was like two pounds each per person. And you just picked a number on how long the speech would be. And the closest person to the correct number won. And I won. It was like, you know, 100 people went in on it. So nice 200 pound win at a wedding. Wasn't bad. I also thought, because in generally, I think speeches are so dull. And they're just there to either amuse the handful of people who know the inside jokes or to make the person giving the speech feel good about themselves. I thought it was a really interesting way of getting everyone semi-invested in the speeches for at least a short period of time like the downside was most people were like running the stopwatch on their phone like during the speech and you could tell people at times were like more focused on the number like when they thought in the speech yeah when he they thought he was starting to like wind up people be like 1421 1422 is he stopping and then like restart they'd be oh fuck like no i'm out wrap it up mate (laughs) exactly do i win if i cut his mic yeah well i've only been to one english wedding and it was a lot of fun it was eventful but we'll save that story for another day (laughs) we'll save that one when we've really taken off yeah same same time that i smoked eddie and cricket that story we already told oh god (laughs) same weekend It's such a delusional interpretation of what happened. It's unbelievable. Hit the furthest six that that tennis court has ever seen with a broken child's cricket bat and a tennis ball. I'll just tell anyone out there, for any cricket supporters out there, if they thought that uh, Mattia Merlitherin was a little bit of a chucker, they should see Frank Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> Because that was a that was a solid twenty five twenty six degrees of arm bend every time. Well, it's kind of difficult when you grow up your whole life throwing a baseball. <laughs> oh, I'm not doubting it. <laughs> I'm just defending my uh, destroyed <laughs> reputation. 
<laughs> All right. Anything else? Or can uh, can I go watch the rest of this Monday night football and get ready for my Cardinals? Oh yeah, it's worth saying, right? Because we did say we'd give people an update. So um, currently, looks like the Chiefs strong position to win. Around ten minutes left in the fourth quarter, they're already up ten points. They, they got have, it deep uh, into Bills territory. Yeah, they have. Yeah, they're deep in the red zone. So looks like the Chiefs, barring a surprising turn of events in the final ten minutes, it looks like the Chiefs will go to five and one, and the Bills will go to four and two. Up thirteen now. So let's see. Can Allen solidify his MVP? Because right now he's nine for twenty-one with sixty-six yards. <laughs> Well, you'd also argue at the same time, I've got to say, Mahomes has not done a lot today to put himself back into the MVP race. Hasn't need to, though, when Edwards Hilaire has got 170 yards rushing. I like however you spin it, like whoever you want to kill for being statistically <laughs> unimpressive. You like didn't need to do anything more. But then the other guy, useless, terrible, should have stepped. Hey, up. someone's got to be that guy on the podcast. All right. <laughs> all right, boys. Well, I'll talk to you guys on Thursday. Bacillus, and go fuck yourself. See ya. <laughs>